Welcome to Wheel to Wheel F1. I'm Tanner Hicks, hosting this week with Noah out, and I'm joined by our co-host Lance Ellington to go into our Australian Grand Prix, talk about some of the big storylines, maybe go into some overreactions from the weekend, stuff we can maybe expect to go uh, to see going forward, but who knows at this point. And lastly, we'll get into our checkered flags, including a, a nice little note on, on who Noah's giving his checkered flag to for the week because we we got to give him at least something but Lance the first thing I want to ask you with this being such a weird race for us on the east coast in America how was it watching this race for you is 1 1 a.m eastern time what what, what'd you do for it yeah so both for race and quality I happened to be up at the start of it for whatever I had going on those nights being out and hanging out and I had planned to just record it on my youtube tv and then wake up in the morning, not check my phone, and then just get in and watch it, you know, and kind of watch it as if it was live and not knowing the results. And so that was an interesting experience, you know, getting up at 8, 9 a.m. in the morning and knowing that if I open up my phone, I'm going to see, you know, who won the race, who qualified where and all these different things and just not touching my phone in the morning and just going straight to my TV. It was weird, but honestly, it was really enjoyable feeling for me. Like usually... You know, I don't know if everybody does this, but get up first thing in the morning. You know, I'm getting on my phone, checking whatever. And it was nice to get up and not immediately jump to my phone and then to just go sit and watch the race. So that was really enjoyable. I don't feel like I missed much by not watching it live because of the way I did that. But I'm sure it's definitely difficult for uh, fans in America and even some in the UK to get up at that hour and go and go and watch the race. How'd you handle it? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I did have the results for quality spoiled for me before watching that on recording. Um, I, so I watched that on Saturday, uh, Saturday morning. So I had the results for that. That made quality a little bit unexciting. Um, definitely, you know, the things that would jump out at you, the big shockers like McLaren doing so great. Um, <laughs> Alonzo putting in some crazy times, but not putting one in and q3 all those things that would have been super super exciting for me they were interesting and i enjoyed watching them but i already knew they were going to happen so that was a little rough and then for the race itself i did the same boat except i didn't know the results i knew charles won because i wasn't as disciplined as you i looked down at my phone i didn't disable notifications and that was a mistake so i saw the headliner notifications i saw charles leclerc wins australian grand prix so I had that. I immediately deleted it. So if there was anything else on those, <laughs> I did not see that. But I knew Charles won, but that didn't spoil much for me because, you know, it's Ferrari. It's Charles. He's he's kicking butt this season. It wasn't a huge shocker. Um, and it certainly wasn't when we got into the race itself. He just blew the whole field away. Now, and even before, you know, knowing that McLaren was going to have a great weekend, which I was definitely excited to see and unhappy about as I am a McLaren fan. I was just excited for racing again, even not knowing the results or what was going to happen. And, you know, the parody that we were going to get in the top 10, seeing a Williams up there, you know, seeing Russell's first podium and some other things we'll get into. It was just fun. I don't, I think we kind of got teased at the start of the year by having two back-to-back races. And then they give us this week break in between, you know, understandably with going to Australia. But for me personally, I think it built up a lot of angst and wanting, you know, to to see these cars back out on the track, see these teams, you know, as quickly as possible again. And I think that's what's going to happen again, you know, going in. We have another two-week break before the next race. And I think it's going to, you know, I'm just, it's leaving me wanting more each time, you know, and see who's making improvements. Can reliability issues be solved? Just when you think a lot of that's been taken care of, we saw some more that happened today. So that's kind of where I'm at with it all. But before we get into some of the race stuff, are there any points you want to touch on that happened in qualifying that you found interesting or anything necessarily surprising that we want to talk about there? Um, not a ton that was crazy. I, I guess one big thing that I didn't touch on already uh, in qualifying, and we'll get to this certainly when we talk about the race as well, is Carlos Sainz. He wound up finishing ninth in qualifying, and that was in large part due to the yellow flag that was caused when Fernando Alonso uh, backed out of Q3, Carlos Sainz was putting in a heater of a lap and that kind of, you know, all went down the drain when, when the yellow flags came out. So he couldn't get that time for that heater of the lap. And then, so he had one chance to put in a great lap 
he didn't do it. He came ninth. It was out of the qualifying finishers in Q3. He was at the bottom below Esteban Ocon. So that was that was huge for me. I mean, that was interesting to see. We saw Lando jump up to P4. We saw Mercedes drivers putting in pretty solid performances. But by and large, I think, other than what I had already hit on with Mercedes, with with signs, with some of the other things, I think, I think that's pretty much it. Quali was, it was interesting. It was interesting, especially after a couple of weeks where, you know, teams had a chance to build up their cars. I mean, obviously the big glaring example is McLaren. I said that I was going to short them coming into this week. God bless. I was as wrong as you could possibly be. They are firmly back in the midfield fight. They're definitely, definitely, definitely uh, going to contend for at the very least that fourth position. Who knows if they could challenge Mercedes for third, um, but they're already in fourth. I mean, they, they killed it this race and it was made for them uh, with this, these high speed straights and high speed corners. So it'll definitely be interesting. And that was one of the telling things out of qualifying. And one thing, just looking back now at where everybody ended up for qualifying, it was interesting that the top 10, you know, then Q3, we only had five teams represented in that, right? You had Alpine, Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, and Red Bull. So that means, you know, the likes of a Haas, so like K-Mag, Alfa Romeo, you know, Botas, or Gasly from AlphaTauri, none of them, you know, were able to squeeze out a great lap or one of those drivers have a great day and make that appearance, which I feel like we've seen even going back to last year. I know the cars were different, but usually you get someone like a Gasly or, you know, not Bo, he was, Botas was with Mercedes last year, but someone like that from one of these other midfield teams squeezing up there, but it was just so defined in these chunks, which I just found interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's been a while since we've seen five teams take up Q3. I mean, you can say what you want about it. Um, you know, between us two as Alpine and McLaren fans, it's exciting to see both of our drivers in Q3, but you got to say if you're, if you're rooting for those lower, those bottom half teams, it was a little underwhelming. I mean, it, it's not like you got some, like you said, some Valtteri Botas's, some, um, Pierre Gasly, some maybe a Aston Martin or a Williams or something else, uh, you know, jumping out of there, uh, qualifying. But the race, I think we got a little bit of that. I mean, we can get into it here in a second, but the race kind of, you know, up upended some expectations, and that had, a lot of that had to do with uh, who did not finish this race. So with that, I will give it to you, Lance. What what are some of the, your biggest storylines that you uh, gleaned from the race? Well. Other than getting into some of the teams or drivers that said highs, I think we should start off with what we saw was low, right? Who who was disappointed, who struggled, I think is where I'd like to touch first, just bouncing from qualifying. Carlos Sainz, you know, getting P9 in quality, and Fernando Alonso in P10, you know, the two Spaniards, and they did not have a good day, right? Both could have been in the top five if the car was in their favor and working out well easily. I think it was both in the realm of possibility for both teams and drivers. But what ended up happening, you know, is Alonzo dropping to the back of the race by the end of it, just with some issues. I think once he switched tires to the hard, he seemed to be starting out good. And I believe it was the hard tire that gave him struggle. And then signs going out early on, you know, I think it was in the first five laps. If it, if it was that early and just, not being able to be there, the hard start was not good for him. He lost, I think, five places right at the beginning coming down the stretch. And then trying to get back into it, he went too deep into a turn, I think, on a future lap. And that just kind of cost him the day there. So that's those are two drivers I just wanted to call out. And then as well, we had a Sebastian Vettel coming back this weekend. And high hopes for him, you know, beloved by all fans and all drivers and everyone in the paddock and whatever the case may be. And I think it's fair to say this is probably one of his worst weekends, you know, in racing that he's probably had in the last decade, if not his career. It was just unfortunate all around between the qualifying crashing there and then not being able to complete the race today is just unfortunate and not the return that Aston Martin was hoping for, not the return I know we wanted to see out of him after he was out for COVID the first two weeks. So definitely unfortunate for some drivers. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, yeah, Vettel had a shocker the entire weekend from practice on. I mean, those Aston Martin engineers were at their wits end trying to get those cars ready for, for qualifying and they didn't get, and they, Vettel put in one lap, but that was it. Um, 
And in that one lap, he crashed out. It, it wasn't it for him. Um, same deal with the race. It's just, you know, nothing was going. He had another chance to get on a scooter. Maybe, maybe that's something we can talk about, but it, it was tough to see Vettel come back to formula one this weekend. Hopefully, hopefully at least he uh, gets to do some fun stuff in the races coming forward with Alonzo. Yeah. I mean, if you're using and, and signs for that matter, if you're using practice, if you're using Q1, Q2 as any barometer for all of this, both of those drivers looked really great. Like you said, definitely capable of a top five qualifying position and going into Q3, they both just, it wasn't there for them. And then going into the race, it just wasn't there for them. And Alonzo, you know, say what you want. He, he caught some, uh, the short end of the stick a couple of times with, with safety cars. He definitely set himself way back, not having enough time to uh, get out in front of some of those drivers in the DRS train that we saw in the latter half of the track after he pitted from his hearts that he started on. But yeah, it was, it was a shocker for some of those guys. It was, but we saw some big results from some other people. So I'll let you get into at least some of them. I think I know who you want to talk about the most, but there, there are a few guys in here uh, yes. that just shocked the world this weekend. I am going to restrain myself before I get into that and just touch on one other disappointing. There's one major disappointment in Verstappen that we'll, we'll talk to a bit later. I want to kind of give him and Red Bull their time a bit later. But also Haas, you know, not, not that we're expecting them, you know, to be up at P5 every time, but I'd say through the two races, it's fair to say we expect them to be competing for points and be a bit closer, especially in quality than what we saw this time around, right? I think K-Mag was out in Q1 and then Mick out-qualified and went out in Q2, which is fine. It's not an issue that Mick beat K-Mag in qualifying. It's more the issue of they weren't higher, right? They weren't closer to that 10th spot or even being up there in the 8th or 7th. So I don't know if that was just nature of the car that they brought to the track and the limited funding that I know they're kind of dealing with right now and maybe not having as much with them to make changes during the practices, so we'll see. It's just interesting that these cars, you know, some are struggling here, some are struggling later. These midfield teams haven't been consistent through the three races, you know, with McLaren doing bad, jumping up, seeing the opposite here with Haas. You know, Williams got into the points today. Alpine's been consistently fast, but then again, there's been some reliability issues or some, you know, like we said with Alonzo, great in practice and qualifying. And then the overtakes and the luck just wasn't there for him today. So that's going to be fun and give us more parity throughout the season. But getting to a team that is now P4 in the Constructors' Championship, that's correct, after struggling through the start of the season to get points. We had people on record, Daniel Ricardo saying, every time we get points this season, it's going to be fantastic. You know, it'll be a win. They're going to be pumped about it. I don't know if they were sandbagging or if they just worked very hard to tailor their car to Albert Park in Australia this weekend. But from quality, from practices, all the way up until the race today, they had a great time. Yes, they've got fortunate, I would say, with some luck with what happened to some of these other drivers and quality and some of these other drivers having reliability issues or going out during the race. But that is part of the sport in Formula One, and that's nothing to take away from these other teams' achievements, right? That's going to happen every race, and that's part of something that you're counting on is it's not just the driver sport. You got to have the whole engine package, the whole team, the pit stops and everything. McLaren has been great at the pit stops all season. We know they have capable drivers and it looks like this week it came to be better. It came together a bit stronger with the car, seeing a P5 and P6 finish. And it was really exciting to see that. And the crowd, I think, was stoked. All fans were very happy to see Daniel Ricciardo perform well back in his home track. I'm sure Lando Norris is feeling a lot better about that contract he signed, and I know he was just pumped to be competing at the top of the grid. There is still a big gap, I would say, you know, between Mercedes, but especially to Ferrari and Red Bull from where they're at. But I don't think it's a stretch to say at all that, you know, you, Tanner, a fan of Alpine and anybody who's a fan of Haas or whatnot that's hoping to kind of get this P4 spot, they now have another competitor that isn't, you know, I don't think this is just a one-off thing. I think McLaren is going to be right up there with them, and that's going to be something to watch out for going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it'd be underselling them to say anything other than that. I mean, <laughs> you know, like you said, I think Albert Park does fit the McLaren mold pretty well with the 
just the nature of the track, just it being high speed and then being not having to go around some of those slower corners and relying on the brakes as much as they would in some other tracks. Cause that's, what's been giving them the issues, but you know, whatever way you pull it, P5, P6 is a great result at any track. And yeah, as an Alpine fan, I'm nervous. Um, granted, like you would expect at some point, Fernando Alonso is going to start putting in some, some points. He's got two points in the season so far. So wouldn't have, if, uh, if you would have told me that Esteban Alcon would have been carrying the load so far, I would, I would have been pretty shocked. I would have been happy because I would have thought that they both would have been great, but it's not really been the case. Um, of course, Alonso getting unlucky sometimes, but back to McLaren, I mean, like you said, driver's doing great. Whole team is doing great. Who knows what we're going to see at some of these, maybe more, a little bit more conventional tracks at the very least for this one, you got to think that we're done with the, Oh, it's a overreaction. Oh, it's a hot take to put them back in this midfield battle because they're in P4 now. <laughs> they are in the midfield battle. They might be in the battle with for, uh, with Mercedes for P3, um, but that remains to be seen. So at the very least, you got to be thrilled if you're a McLaren fan out of this weekend. And then yeah. jumping back to what you said earlier about Haas, it's just, I don't, I, I think there are a few things with it all. I mean, I think you kind of hit the, head on the nail earlier when you mentioned that it was partially a money thing where they didn't have enough money or they didn't have the spare parts to bring to Australia to replace some of the, the, I guess, problem things that they got out of a uh, mixed car or potentially out of Kevin's car from the first two races. Um, and I think the other thing, and you know, this is something that we've seen with Haas in several seasons now is coming out with a great car. They've had this, um, this scheme, but, Formula one has long seasons. And if you're not upgrading your car, every chance you get, then there's something wrong and you're going to be behind. And that's something that you do have to worry about with Haas as a team who doesn't have the money to devote to big mid season upgrades. And so you do have to worry about them a little bit. It'll be interesting to see what happens in some other races. I'm sure they've budgeted the entire season in a situation where of course, after two big spending races like Jeddah and Bahrain. Uh, they definitely wanted one a little bit uh, less than that in Australia. So they might've told their drivers to lay off a little bit, make sure they don't overheat an engine, definitely make sure they don't get in a costly wreck. Um, but it's definitely something you have to worry about. I really hope that that Haas Renaissance, as we called it, and as, as we're cheering for, is at least still somewhat in the cards. It's definitely not out of it yet, but it's something that you have to worry about. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And looking here at these tri uh, uh, the standings, you know, and what happened, some other big winners I would say from this weekend. First, most let's go to the podium. George Russell, he got third in this race, which now puts him P two in the drivers' championship. You know, I'm, he's behind Leclerc by quite a few points. But it's extremely impressive, right? Again, I go back to something I said in a previous episode. If you would have told anyone before this season that George Russell would be putting in these results, I think fourth in the first race, maybe fifth last week, and now a third place finish. I mean, yes, you know, obviously you want wins, but that's a great start, right? That is phenomenal, especially considering that, again, that puts them P2 in the driver's championship. So they have to be thrilled there as a team. I know Hamilton was frustrated a little bit with his car. He didn't seem to be getting the pace out of it as Russell, and he also was not able to benefit during any of the safety cars, which was, I'm sure, frustrating. But again, still a great finish by him. And any time, you know, the top two teams each have a driver grows out. When we talk as far as a constructor championship, this was a great day for Mercedes as far as maybe trying to close that gap. If they can make some of these improvements down the line, you know, over the next couple of races, they well could be in that mix again. You know, it's definitely hard to say when you have a guy like Charles Leclerc performing as well as he is and being one with the car almost. It's just, you know, he's just out there perfectly. But that was really great. And I don't know, these other guys that we talked about who didn't make it in quality into Q3, such as Botas, Gasly, and Albon, even Guan Yu Zhou, you know, finishing 11th. These guys did get up into the points, you know, and had a great day and a great finish considering where they started on the grid and navigating the three different safety cars that we did happen. Do you have any uh, any other winners that you want to touch on for the day? 
No, I think you kind of hit it on, on Russell big time. Uh, I guess one other guy that I want to hit on um, and we'll kind of leave Charles Leclerc in, in the rafters. I mean, obviously he's a huge <laughs> winner. Um, you can't say enough about the way he's racing right now, the way he's separating himself from the rest of the field, especially when Max Verstappen goes out. But the other one that, you know, might not be entirely out there is Sergio Perez coming home with P2. Definitely nothing you can complain about from him. Um, he showed some solid racing at the beginning. You almost wondered going at the start of the race, you saw Hamilton pulling ahead of him into turn one and you were wondering, well, maybe Mercedes is back. Maybe Mercedes can compete with Ferrari and Red Bull now. And then Perez just put that to bed. He had a pretty strong race. He, he did some good things. Obviously he benefited from not having to worry about signs, uh, being able to get past Verstappen when he had to retire the car, but no matter any way you throw it, P2 is a good result in any race. And, and he just came home with it soundly. There wasn't a lot of craziness. You almost worried towards the end when he went off track um, and into the grass, but still he had built up such a cushion between himself and George Russell that that was that, that P2 spot was never truly in jeopardy. Now that's a great point. Checo, you know, Red Bull needed it today with the reliability issue that Max faced. And you kind of see maybe some luck breaking Checo's way finally, you know, after having his own car issue in the first race and not being able to finish getting unfortunate with the pit stops with uh, the safety virtual car or the safety car back in Jetta, And now being able to take advantage of maybe some other cars, mishaps and some other virtual cars and getting into that P2 spot. And you mentioned earlier how Ocon was leading Fernando Alonso as far as the Alpines go. Well, two other things that I think are very surprising. Perez is leading Max Verstappen for Red Bull, and George Russell is leading Lewis Hamilton for Mercedes. So you kind of have these, you know, these three guys just leading these veteran drivers that we would have thought or who wouldn't have guessed that they'd be leading their team. You know, I think Leclerc's a bit expected to lead that team, right? Lando Norris, especially after last year, is expected to be leading McLaren but I don't think that was the case for these other three drivers. And so that's definitely exciting to see. And we'll definitely add some parody when we're talking driver's championship and placing. But as we're talking about Checo, I want to ask you, what happened to Max Verstappen today? And how is this impacting? We've now had three races and he's only finished one. Granted, he won the one he finished, but the other two, he's getting zero points. Where, where are we at there, Turner? I mean, it's another car reliability issue. It has nothing to do with going over some curbs wheel as weird. It has nothing to do with some tires blowing in the middle of a straight like we saw last season. It's purely car reliability. And so I think Horner said after the race, we're happy that we're dealing with fast cars, not having some uh, reliability issues, not slow cars that are reliable, having some quickness issues. And so I think he's right in that. I mean, obviously long-term we should see that correct itself and, and see him jump up just by virtue of being Max Verstappen and being in such a fast red, uh, red bull car. Um, but it's definitely, you know, we don't want to shortchange Checo. He's having a good season. He's putting in a lot of solid results and he's been pretty consistent. He also didn't finish a race. And so, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I take away from all of this is, are we going to continue seeing reliability issues with Red Bull? I don't think so. You would think that such a, you know, a, a big company, such a money rich team is going to be fine, be, going to be able to figure some of it out. But uh, as far as a, as a constructors championship challenger to Ferrari goes, uh, if they keep having any sort of reliability issues and even driver's championship for the top two, it's hard to imagine any scenario where they're going to be able to compete for the top spot in either of those championships. No, I definitely agree. And just thinking from a standpoint, as I was watching the race again, not knowing what the result was going to be, I'm thinking, okay, signs is in P nine or starting in P nine. And then you have the Red Bulls up there with Leclerc to finish out the top three spots. And I'm thinking they're really going to push Leclerc. There would be some interesting strategies, maybe some undertakes there with the two different strategies, maybe between the Red Bulls and something going on there and a chance for them to make up some ground in this constructors championship. And then signs goes out early and I'm like, wow, Horner is just has to be stoked. It is playing into his hand. They're going to be able to have a great day. 
And eventually we see that Charles just was on another, another level today than any other driver with this car, just putting in flying laps. And Max did not seem to be able to ever close the gap. You know, his only opportunities really came when there was a virtual car. They started out together in the beginning of their race. So there was that. But then with Max failing, that played back into Ferraris. And I'm sure they were happy over there to be able to stretch their lead out. And they're now almost double the Red Bull team in the championship, you know, they're over, they're about 50 points higher. And that's it. That's a lot of ground to make up, especially when we're talking Ferrari. Yes. The bad luck bug hit signs this weekend, but still through three races, I don't think we've seen any true reliability issues with this car and with this team. They seem, you know, (laughs) excuse the pun, but like they're a well-oiled machine through their pit stops, through their drivers, their cars, practices, qualifying. It's very impressive to see particularly for a team that was fighting, you know, for P3 and the constructors last year to, I would say, have such control through three races this season has been very impressive. You know, you didn't deliver it like he does, but it just felt like we had Noah in that podcast when you, when you gave off that pun. So he, he's, uh, he's gone, <laughs> but not forgotten. He'll be back soon. And the spirit of his humor is definitely still living strong within this episode that is missing um getting back to your point yeah i mean i think you're definitely right the only thing that ferrari is having to worry about is uh giving their drivers concussions on these straights with with some of that porpoising god like you see carlos signs it just feels like it's a jackhammer inside his helmet um you know we talk about nfl players dealing <laughs> with cte i mean god Um, but you know, all jokes aside, I don't see Ferrari having big liability issues. The driver's championship already has huge gaps in it. And the constructor's championship already has huge gaps in it. I don't know what your overreactions are. It's hard to imagine that they haven't already won this. And I could be dipping into it just a little bit already. Uh, but it's, it's nuts what he's doing and it's nuts what Ferrari has done compared to the rest of these teams with just nailing the regulations. No, I agree. And I want to get back to your point with this porpoising, right? So when these, when these cars, these drivers are coming down the straights, the way the air, I guess, is flowing through their car underneath their car, it's causing that the driver's heads, right. To bounce up and down and kind of, we call it porpoising there with the halo on the car, their head bobbing up and down. And this brings me to, to my point is how do you feel about the driver cam this year, right? We ha- they get all these great angles. They try to do a great job covering the sport and provide the fans at home a great experience watching. And now they've added the camera, you know, inside the visor. We saw it. I saw it a bit on my uh, viewing from Lando Norris today. I think I saw it Fernando Alonso. They always show Leclerc, you know, pretty regularly, it feels like. Is this something you like seeing as a fan? Do you like getting that point of view or – What's kind of your takeaway with that camera angle? So there are a few things that that come to mind when I think of this camera angle. The first is that it really makes me appreciate even more than trying to drive in the Formula One video game with my PlayStation controller. It really (laughs) makes me appreciate just how hard of a job and how special these guys are to go out there on a weekly basis and just race at 200 miles per hour, just risk everything the way they do. Because... They don't have a ton of visibility and they're going so fast and they can't see some corners uh, coming up. They can't see some cars once they go around those corners. And so it's terrifying to watch. It's terrifying. And it really makes me appreciate them as athletes that much more. The other point that comes to mind when I think of this driver cam is it's not easy to watch, right? Like I'm not going to get a ton out of it when I'm watching this driver cam, because I'm not going to be able to see the overhead shots where I'm truly understanding, Oh, this car is getting on this car, you know, exactly how you put it, but it's really interesting to see it through the driver's eyes. See, God, I don't know how they see some of those holes, especially if, you know, in Melbourne, especially they had the sunlight just streaming into their visors at, at some time. So how they go for, small gaps and how they see those through those visors going so fast is just absolutely insane. So from a fan's perspective, no, I'm not going to be able to understand and and totally see everything that's going on when we get that perspective, but it's so cool to get a better appreciation for the sport and what these drivers go through on race day. 
No, I completely agree. And I think that's a point there with Formula One as a whole, you know, being a motorsport, being a racing, a driving sport that I think a lot of fans are able to connect to is kind of a relatability aspect. You know, most fans of Formula One probably drive a car in some capacity or have driven cars in the past or, you know, I'm, you know, we make commutes every day to work. And there's that aspect of it. And when looking at other sports, you know, particularly here in America with a basketball or a football or whatever the case may be, for my for the listeners who do not know me personally, I'm not a very big person. So I have never dunked a basketball. I have no clue what it is like to, you know, be six nine and have a 40 inch vert. I have no clue what it is like to go on a football field and run a four three thirty. Now I'm not saying I know what it feels like to drive two hundred miles an hour down a straight. But I do know what it's like to drive a car, make turns, brake, and do all these different things. And obviously, Formula One has amplified it at another level. But I think there's a relatability there and an understanding of the sport for fans that I think, you know, is, is definitely beneficial and helpful for the sport, if, that, if that's making sense. I don't know if that point's even worth bringing up, but just the thought that I had. Well, it's crazy. I mean, one of the, the fun conversations that we love to have in America is, you know, we're sitting in our armchairs, we're sitting on our couches with with pizza in front of us or something like that, watching this sport. And some guy drops a, you know, a perfect pass, 30 yard pass, get a touchdown, win the game for his team. And you, you, you're sitting on your couch, like a couch potato. And you're like, Oh, I could have done that. And then we get this driver cam and I'm looking at what these guys are doing. And I was like, hell no, I can't do that. Let's not even for a second. I fool myself into thinking that that's something that I could possibly do. So as, as cool as it is to get the relatable aspect to it, where I might be sitting on my couch and foolishly be saying that I could do the job of an NFL wide receiver. I'm absolutely <laughs> not even going to entertain the idea of fooling myself into saying that I could do the job of a formula one driver. I actually, I actually love that point, right? We've, we've watched these races together and you know, these qualifyings together at times and never once has it been like, you know, I, I would have taken the inside there. I don't know. I don't know what Lando's thinking. I was just stupid. Why didn't you go on the outside there? Or like, why didn't you do this or that? You know, as much as I learn and try to learn, I'm not going to know what the best strategy is as a fan or try to predict that, you know, like you said, with these sports, we're like, oh, I would have caught that ball. I could have. It's an easy pass to make. Why didn't you just why'd you run up the middle again? Do this play. And never am I making comments like that, you know, in in a race, you know, or in quality. I'm just sitting there and like hoping for the best and just that amazement, you know, a little bit. So that's definitely a good point. Unless you have any other storylines or any other takeaways from the race, we can go ahead and get into some overreactions here that I have. Those are the biggest ones. And I think there's one thing that we haven't hit on yet this podcast that I know we will later. So I'm going to leave that just for a second. So, <laughs> so yeah, hit me with those overreactions. I am curious to see, hear what you might have. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and I'll start with this one. It's a pretty spicy one coming out the gate. So you hinted at this with the driver's championship as far as Charles Leclerc being well ahead of anyone, you know, I think George Russell's in second and he's 34 points of George, which is a lot in this sport, but I'm not taking it from that perspective. I'm going to go a different way. Something we previewed and uh, looking into this race was some future bets, right? Who do we think would win the championship? And I think Charles was still at plus you know, like one, 155 odds. And it was kind of like, if you think he's going to do it, bet him. But the favorite on it was Max Verstappen, you know, heading into Australia was still the favorite to be the driver's champion. And he now only has 25 points through three races of the season. He is now 46 points down to Charles Leclerc. And I believe you only get 25 points for first place. And you can get an extra point, you know, if you get the fastest lap that's going to be very tough for him to cover up these 46 points on Charles Leclerc. So now with, you know, we're only three races in, is it an overreaction to say that Max is out of running for the driver's championship? What do you think, Tanner? I think it's so funny that just last week we talked about these futures bets and how we talked about how, if you think that Max might have a better chance at some point, wait for those odds to get a little bit better. <laughs> and now after this race where his car just bottomed out in the middle of the race and Charles just destroyed the rest of the con competition, I, I'm, I have no idea what the odds are going to be. 
um, in a few days time, but God, if you, if you thought Charles was going to win the championship, you missed a window. Now as you, <laughs> last week was your chance and those were the best odds you're going to get. So I think that's crazy. I personally don't think Max can come back unless, unless, and this is a big if, especially in today's world, unless Sergio Perez just takes Charles out of like three or four races for the rest <laughs> of the season to just be a, the best wingman of all time. Um, Execute order 66. Exactly. Is that what it is? <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I mean, Max being the empire, that's just, that works as well. I mean, all, all of these things. So it's hard to imagine Max coming back. If you still think he is, put money on him now because it probably ha- if he's winning this championship, it probably means that he's winning the next race, but you know, it's just so such a convenient timing just right after you give us those odds. Cause you were right on the money. It was plus plus one fifty five. Like that's the best it's going to get, especially the way things looked this weekend. Charles just looks unmatchable, not only by the rest of the cars on the grid, but even by his teammate. And you know, as any F1 season goes on, teams start figuring out who's the number one driver and who's the number two driver that's going to have to help their teammate get that driver's championship. Ferrari might have already figured out through three races that we love you, Carlos, but we need you to do everything you can to make Charles the driver's champion for this year. And so you're not getting that with any other team right now. Like even with Red Bull, they can say Max is still their number one driver, but at the same time, Sergio is still above him in the standings by what? Oh, okay. It's only five points. So it's not a huge gap. Um, but even saying that it's just not the same kind of mentality as Ferrari can already go out and say, Carlos, you're going to defend and Charles, you're going to run away and just destroy everybody like you did this weekend. So it's awfully convenient timing. And um, if you were a Charles fan and you didn't hit the hit the futures bet last week, then you missed out. Your numbers are not going to be as good going forward. Yeah. The two points I'll hit on here, you know, whether or not this is an overreaction, I do think it's a bit of an overreaction. And that is because it is only April 10th. And this is a sport that will run all the way into November. And so I'm by no means going to discount him. I will say he has a massive uphill battle to climb. You know, we'll see what happens when we get into these summer months and if he can do it. But if I am going to say, you know, this is, this is, this is a true, uh, true statement, you know, as far as him being out of the running, it's not an indictment on him or on Red Bull but it's more of an appreciation and a recognition of where Ferrari and Charles and Leclerc are, right? I don't see them slowing down for him to make up this ground. I, for a fact it will require Leclerc having reliability issues or crashes or having a few DNFs this season. And I think Max had three DNFs, you know, did not finish all of last year. And he already has two through first three races this season, which is just wild and very unexpected. And who knows? I'm, you know, he's a professional. He has been in the sport for a while, but at some point, you know, I'm sure it gets frustrating to not be able to compete at the top. Heck, not even be able to finish these races where it's fully out of your control. And Max is a winner. He is a champion and something he drives for. So we'll see if, if it comes up again over the next two races, if he only finishes one of them, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. We are going to see some interesting stuff happen in the paddock maybe, or some interesting interviews with some frustration coming out. Cause I don't know how long you could stay professional on a mic, you know, with these boiling points coming up, but so we'll see if Max can make a run back at Leclerc for the driver's championship. Moving on. My next overreaction has to do with Mercedes. So through the season, you know, so far, They've had an okay start, you know, definitely not in the top two. I think they're a solid P3 as a team. But one thing that we were curious coming into the season, I think, is how was Lewis Hamilton going to be versus George Russell, right? Was he going to be way out in head? I was predicting some growing pains with George Russell. I think I was 100% wrong, at least through three races, I will say that. He looks the part, plays the part, and I think is getting everything out of that car as possible. But is it an overreaction to say that Russell and Hamilton are evenly matched with the car they have today? I do believe Lewis Hamilton may be, or not maybe, I do believe he is a much better driver even today than George Russell. But based off of both how 
they've handled the car so far through the first three races, it seems to be very evenly matched. What do you think, Tanner? You had me in the first half, not going to lie. <laughs> I thought I thought you were drumming it up for, for an overreaction that George was just going to beat Lewis and that maybe he's passed Lewis already, um, which was a you know way harder answer <laughs> for me. What we've seen in each of these races in terms of pace, in terms of qualifying performance, when they both have the exact same car, you know, we've seen five, six, we've seen two teams, Mercedes, excuse me, we've seen Ferrari and Red Bull ahead of them. And we've seen every other team on the grid behind Mercedes. And we've seen George and Lewis five and six evenly matched. I'm not sure there's a better way you can put it. It's not even that they're exactly similar drivers. It's not even that Mercedes are that much better than McLaren and the rest of the midfield. They might be, but that's a whole nother conversation. It's that every single race, all other things equal, Russell and Hamilton are not separating themselves by very many seconds at the end of the race. Definitely not separating themselves by very many seconds purely on lap time. Um, So I think it's fair to say that they're evenly matched right now. I mean, Russell's probably a little bit happy. He's finally in a car that's competing a little bit more. And Hamilton is a little bit disgruntled. And so, you know, I, I think it would be foolish to say that Hamilton is indestructible. He's still at the peak of his powers because he's not anymore. Uh, he, he's just not. And that was evidenced by not winning last season against Max Verstappen. And that's being evidenced so far at let's be frank, being outperformed by George Russell. I mean, of course he's been, Hamilton's been unlucky with, uh, you know, those, the testing, uh, the testing parts of his car that they put in for qualifying in Jeddah, not getting out of Q1. And he's been unlucky with safety cars so far this season, but purely on race pace, purely on qualifying pace. Yeah. They're, they're evenly matched. I don't think that's an overreaction. Yeah, no, I would almost flip this on its head. You know, if someone was to disagree is what's, what's the argument that Hamilton is performing better, you know, if you were going to go in that direction, if anything, you know, it's easy to say that George Russell is the one who's been outperforming. And so that's why I kind of give Hamilton the benefit of the doubt and lean towards that. They are evenly matched. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure some things may change. We're three races in, so we shall see. But so, yeah, I think that's a fun overreaction. But getting to my before we get into my third and final overreaction, there's another talking point I want to hit on. And it was kind of a hot take, you know, kind of my flaming hot take I had in our preseason prediction episode about what I saw for points this year. Right. So I said, what if each team this season scored 25 points? I said, wouldn't that just be crazy and great? Well, if we're doing some rounding, and I'm going to do some rounding here, I'm not going to be exact. We already have half the grid at about 25 points. And then we have about, you know, a total of eight teams at at least half of 25, you know, so about in the 12, 13 range or more. And so we're well on pace for that. It'll be interesting to see if Williams and Aston Martin can bring up that rear and get us there. But through three races, I'm pretty happy with where things stand, you know, I wish Williams maybe had a bit more, but that would take away from others. So who knows with some lucky crashes, maybe Albon can get up there. Maybe Vettel can get a bit better after today or stroll can step up and gain a couple points here and there to get all the teams to 25. So just kind of an update on that take. But so my overreaction is looking at the midfield battle after today, I would say excluding the top three cars in Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull, putting them to the side. I think we have six cars in the midfield battle. There's McLaren, Alpine, Alfa Romeo, Haas, AlphaTauri. I think those are all undisputed, what we would say in the midfield. There's definitely looking to be an upper and a lower as the season goes on. You know, we may get a gap in there somewhere, but I'm grouping those together as of today. And I'm going to put Williams in that for now. This is something that changes on a week-to-week basis. It is not something that stays consistent where these teams stand. And the reason I'm sticking Williams, and you'll let me know if this is an overreaction, in the midfield battle is because I think Alex Albon showed great pace today, great poise, 
and was just great all around with the Williams. He could have done the whole race on that set of hard tires. He only changed because the rules require to put on two different compa- two different compounds during the race. And he did that and was still able to stay in the points and squeak out a 10th place for the team. Is it an overreaction to throw Williams into the midfield and say, we have six teams competing Tanner? Yes. Um, yeah, that's an overreaction. I, I love Alex Albon. I was rooting for him coming into the season. I, I believe in him as a driver. I hope he has a future in formula one. Uh, one guy I don't have any faith in as a driver is Nicholas Latifi. So if we're talking midfield, we are asking Albon to do all the heavy lifting. And I think part of the, the biggest reason that I say this is an overreaction is because I think today was a Herculean effort by Alex Albon. I think he stretched those hard tires further than any other driver on the field could. And that's not an exaggeration at all. I think that he benefited a little bit from it being a hard overtaking track and the car behind him being Esteban Alcon, who was having some overheating issues. And so he had to lay off a little bit, theoretically. I mean, that's what we heard on the radio. Who knows what yeah. is actually the case. <laughs> um, but all that said, I think today was a great effort by Alex Albon. I'm not ready to say that's going to be his best drive of this season because I still think he's a great driver, but it was an, an it was a mega drive. That, that was a huge performance by him. And it's, I don't, I think it's a stretch to say that I see a Williams competing with even Alfa Romeo, even Haas uh, going forward. I mean, Haas might drop off, who knows, just based on what we saw this weekend. But at least as far as Williams goes, if Latifi showed me a little bit more, I might put them up there. Um, But even Latifi, who I don't think is a good driver, I don't think he'll have a seat next year. Even when he's not, you know, showing me any source of optimism if he's showing me anything that makes me want to believe in him as a driver if he showed me anything this weekend then i would maybe consider putting them into that midfield battle but i think it was just a mega effort by alex albon no that's fair i agree with that uh you know i I know i set the groundwork there you know and that's what i'm trying to do to just give you the storyline give you all the backing and see and see what we get out of that so i'd agree and honestly I probably should not be doing any more predictions or saying what I think might happen. Cause I think if anything, that's just proven to, to bite me in the ass and show how wrong I am, but I'm going to do it anyway. What I'm thinking, we're going to break into these groupings and where things may end up falling. I'm going to say Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes. And this is, this is not an order of constructors, but I think that'll be your group a, shall we say, right. They'll be up there at the top. I think, Mercedes is going to make enough improvements to separate themselves from the other teams on the grid. And that'll be your group, your group, a, you know, those three teams next, this may be jumping to conclusions, but in group B, we'll call it. I think there'll be two teams only. I think McLaren and Alpine are going to find a way to separate themselves from the grid. I feel more strongly about that for Alpine than I do the others because of the pace that we've seen and trusting Fernando Alonso, you know, he's had bad luck. So I definitely think he's missed some points opportunities and they're still already seeing that separation. So I think hoping McLaren can stick true to the improvements and build off of this weekend, maybe that'll be your group B. Then finally in group C, I think Alfa Romeo, Haas and Alfa Tari may just get stuck behind there and not have enough to get up to those other cars. And my reasoning there is Botas you know, with Alfa Romeo as well above Guan Yu Zhou. Guan Yu Zhou is having a great, you know, start to his Formula One career. I think it's a lot better than what people predicted. But they're more or less, you know, have one really great driver. I would say same thing goes for Haas so far. Magnussen's been pretty great, you know, particularly the first two races of the season. And then Alfa Tari with Gasly. That's the biggest difference between my Group B and Group Cs. And finally, as of now, I will have in group D Williams and Aston Martin. And that's yes, there was some improvements today. We talked about Albon having a great day and getting those points. And we even saw stroll, you know, being pretty competitive and doing some great defending in the DRS train. 
But that's that may be where it's falling. You know, definitely a lot of speculation in there. But that's how I see things grouping up three races through the season. Any uh, quick quick opinions or quick thoughts there, Tanner? If you asked me to do the same exercise you just did, I would have done the same exact thing. I, I, I'm excited to see what happens with McLaren at other tracks. Like I just said, McLaren is a team that excels on these long straights, on these fast corners that you definitely see in Melbourne uh, and maybe don't see on a track like Bahrain. So I'm excited to see what they do on some of some of those others other tracks. Just recency bias, just what I'm guessing will happen because McLaren is a big company, it's a big team, and it's a team that has seen success recently. If you had, if I had to do the, the same exercise, I would have done it the exact same way you have. Again, like you did in no particular order with anybody. Well, I, I think you can do the top three in a particular order being Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes. <laughs> the rest of the grid, I'm not going to put in any particular order, but I do think you have them in the correct buckets. Uh, that could bite us later and it could change and um, and we'll see something else later. But if I had to, you know, gun to the head, if I had to say something, then I would say the exact same thing that you just did. Yeah, exactly. Just some speculation and just, just putting it out there, you know, letting people know where where we're at with our teams and thoughts. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give takes. This is the Formula One sports podcast. We're just supposed to just talk and, and say what we think is going to happen or what's taking place in the sport and give our opinion. But I think now we've done our overreactions. We've done some storylines. We've talked through some different things. We can get into our checkered flags. And I do want to kick it off with Noah. We miss you. We hope you're listening to this. And he sent us in his checkered flag for the Australian Grand Prix. And he is going with one, Alex Albon. He managed to place 10th despite a penalty sending him to the back of the grid to start the race after qualifying, starting in 20th. He lasted on hards for the whole race, and he only pitted to avoid that penalty that we talked about. And every other driver who started on hards had noticeable drops in pace. Talking about you, Carlos Sainz, had to say it. And Albon kept pace also in front of Ocon, on who had much fresher tires throughout it for quite a while. So have to give his props there. Alex Albon, you deserve that checkered flag. I do not know if we will be giving Williams or any driver from Williams another checkered flag this season. So definitely take that, hang it up, put it in your paddock. That's a big thing. You got the wheel-to-wheel Formula One checkered flag, Alex Albon. So congrats to you. And I will pass it to you, Tanner. Who will you give your checkered flag out today? My checkered flag for this weekend is going to McLaren. And I'm, I know I'm not stepping on your toes because we talked about this earlier. Otherwise I would let you write home about McLaren. But since, <laughs> since you want to be a little bit tempered, since you don't want to seem super biased, I'll sing their praises for you. McLaren put in a mega shift today. They grabbed P5 and P6 and just destroyed everybody. Like they, 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 uh, they were racing on their own the same way we've seen Mercedes racing on their own for a lot of these races this season. Um, the Alpines couldn't really touch them, quite frankly. And it was just Lando and, and Danny right next to each other the whole race. They were quick in practices. They were quick in qualifying. And they were quick in the race. I mean, there wasn't a lot to it. Of course, they benefited from Verstappen and Sainz not being able to finish. But God, they just... Yeah, I mean, there wasn't much getting around it. They just were solid the entire race. I mean, we saw Lando getting beat by uh, by Hamilton, I believe, if not Russell, at the very start of the race. And after that, they never really looked back. I mean, just like I said, they, they were racing on their own. They were putting in solid times. They weren't getting caught by the cars behind them. And that was pretty much all she wrote. They, they rebounded in a way that no other team rebounded coming into this week. They... Um, from the depths of Lando Norris being super pessimistic, they can, they're in fourth place now and can probably say that they are at the very, very least, very firmly in the competition for P4 this season. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I can't, I don't want to get too overjoyed with uh, what happened today, but definitely was unexpected for that team and those drivers and happy as a fan for that to be the case for team Papaya. Now getting into my checkered flag for this Grand Prix, I'm going with one Charles Leclerc. And this is 
not just because he won the race, right? We could give that out every week. The guy who won the race obviously deserves the checkered flag. But this is just for, you know, some extra stuff that may have taken place, unexpected finishes and things like that. And Charles Leclerc had his first Grand Slam of his Formula One career this weekend. So what is a Grand Slam in the sport? That is when you get pole, when you win the race, when you have the fastest lap of the race, and when you lead every lap of the Grand Prix. And that, as you, to use your wording for Alex Albon, is a Herculean effort and a great job done by him, especially on a weekend where his teammate, Carlos Sainz, had some struggles, had some mishaps. Huge for him, huge for him, for Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship, huge for Charles Leclerc in the Drivers' Championship. He has this massive lead. I do not know if it will extend, so I don't want to make any speculation on that. But it is just great. Very impressive driving by him. Very consistent now through three races. I think he's done P1, P2, and now back to P1 again. You know, unfortunate, but a near perfect start to the season. And even then, you know, it was coming down to some of the final laps there in Jeddah, if I remember correctly, for him getting that P2 spot, you know, behind losing out to Max Verstappen, the defending champion. So no shame in that. I'm sure he is stoked. I'm sure any Ferrari fan listening is overjoyed. Noah does not know that I did this, so I'm sure he's going to be very happy to hear that someone did give it to him, and not just because he won, but because of the totality, I guess, of what's been accomplished through three races, what was accomplished today by him. So good by you, buddy. Good job. Anyway, though, do we want to do any honorable mentions for some checkered flags? It's hard to give it out to just, you know, three – three different things you know today we had two drivers in a team we gave it to what else who else would you like to mention for an honorable honorable checkered flag tanner yeah i'm not sure there's any particular team or driver i want to mention for a checkered flag we saw a lot of guys put in really solid performances that we can be proud of that we've hit on already um but one thing in particular that i want to give an honorable mention to is the track updates that they made to Melbourne. You probably heard it during the the broadcast that this is one of the hardest overtaking circuits in the F1 calendar uh, over the last five years. Obviously, they didn't race here in 2020 or 2021. But before that, there were very, very precious few overtakes that we saw, especially, I, I mean, I saw a graphic for all of the circuits that we have this season in the last five years. Only Monaco has had fewer average overtakes than this circuit has. And uh, that's something that wasn't truly in effect today. We saw four DRS zones. We saw a decent bit of overtakes, not a crazy amount, but but certainly a lot more action than you might have uh, worried that you would have seen here in the past. And so it gave us a, uh, an entertaining race, as long as you weren't watching for the battle for the P1 spot, because if you were watching for that battle, you weren't very entertained because Charles just destroyed the rest of the competition. Now that's a good, that's a good mention for the track. I really like that and giving the props to uh, Albert park and the changes that were made. I will also say, I don't know if this is quite an honorable mention, just kind of two notes. I'll try to wrap up into one that I want to touch on is a, the car improvements. We've talked on that a bit, but I think we definitely saw Mercedes with stronger race pace this weekend. McLaren, we've, discussed that deeply as well as seeing a Williams getting into the top 10 with points and seeing stroll, you know, being competitive at the top or not at the top, but being competitive around that 10th spot and around points. So fun to see that maybe some improvements are being made and we'll continue to see the field get a bit tighter and busier. And finally, just a props again to the cars and the regulation changes that were made as we're getting these DRS trains, we're getting a lot closer following than we have in the past. You mentioned at the start of the race how Lewis Hamilton and George Russell both quickly t- overtook Lando Norris, you know, getting off their spots quicker. But Ricardo, Lando, I think it was Russell, you know, all staying very close to each other in that train, having DRS one after the other. They never quite made up the ground to catch him. But it was exciting to watch as a fan with no overtakes and seeing the DRS and seeing them kind of stick in a line. And then we saw it again later in the race, you know, even in the lap 40s. I think there was a train that went from P9 all the way back to P14, you know, starting with Stroll going back to Guan Yuzhou in 14. And 
we had four or five cars all going DRS and this is for multiple laps. These aren't just one off. So definitely appreciate as a fan seeing the cars a bit closer and not seeing too ridiculous of a gap. Definitely again, uh, P1 is its own world right now, but yeah, I agree. Those DRS chains are always fun <laughs> to watch. They might've been helped a little bit by Lance Stroll weaving along the straights <laughs> and making sure that we saw that DRS train keep going on. He did get a five tech five second time penalty uh, for doing that weaving. But at the very least as fans to watch that without seeing a wreck, I mean, there's not much more you can hope for because uh, seeing a wreck there would have been a little unfortunate, uh, but seeing, I think it was six cars lined up at once with DRS open was just, it was, it was great entertainment. I mean, the only thing that would have made it, made it better was would have been the opportunity to see multiple guys going for moves on people at the same time like last race in Jetta, we saw hulkenberg holding up a drs chain and then getting passed by i think maybe both mclarens at once if i'm not mistaken <laughs> uh, at one point in the race but either way it was entertaining and it definitely made the race more fun to watch so lance stroll i'm sorry that you had to get a time penalty for weaving but you definitely helped the fans so you 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 won in my book today there you go. Well, I had a good time. I think we've covered everything for the Australian Grand Preview or Grand Prix review. Definitely all we have time to get into today. It's been a lot of fun. Another great race. Can't believe we're already three races in the books and I'm already ready for a race tomorrow. But sadly, we will have to wait about two weeks till we return with Formula One in Italy. And I believe we will be seeing our first sprint of the year. And for those that do not know what a sprint is, we will get into that on the race preview leading into that Grand Prix will definitely be exciting and have some implication for sports or for points in the sport. As we look at the tight battle in the midfield, and even at the top could be an opportunity to make up some ground for some of those teams that's had reliability issues. But as always, enjoy this bye week coming up. You know, if you haven't listened to some other episodes, feel free to check that out. Do some research on the sport if you're missing out on some terms. That's no shame there. Just enjoy it. As always, appreciate you listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at F1 Wheel to Wheel. And thanks again. And that's the checkered flag for today. We'll see you next time on the Wheel to Wheel F1 podcast.